everybody. Welcome to Momletics. I'm your host, Rebecca Sheehan. Today's episode focuses on our carnal urge, pun intended, to sink our teeth into a nice juicy steak or chew that crunchy piece of bacon smelling so delicious on the stove. Humans have always eaten meat, and today we consume more than ever. Believe it or not, we eat almost double the amount of meat now compared to 60 years ago, which is not so great for our waistlines, let alone our rich American farmland and animal welfare. The list goes on. But eating meat is so ingrained in our culture, and it's way too delicious and nutritious for us to quit cold turkey, another pun I'm so sorry, on our meat consumption. It's the reason a lot of farmers and meat producers today are trying to get back to basics, sustainably growing crops and livestock the way it used to be done before all this fancy machinery came along. Sylvia Tabor is one of those individuals. She's founder and CEO of Carnivore Snacks, which, just like it sounds, produces meat snacks. But unlike your typical jerky or, dare I say, Slim Jim, these snacks are made without anything but meat and salt and use livestock from regenerative farms, which we'll talk about in a bit. So instead of continuing our current harmful trajectory or vilifying meat completely, could the ethos of carnivore snacks be a viable solution? Let's find out. Sylvia Tabor, thank you so much for joining us on Momletics today. Thank you for having me. Let's start out by talking about you a little bit. How did you become passionate about this? Well, I grew up in Poland um, on a small farm where we grew everything, and we pretty much sustained our whole family um, on food that we grew ourselves. And our farm was considered regenerative, um, and that's pretty much like the only thing I knew growing up. And then at the age of 13, my family ended up moving to the U.S. And for some reason, I got really interested in the farming and how food in the U.S. was produced. And I learned a lot about the dairy system and meat system, how animals were being raised and mistreated. And kind of from there on, I decided that I did not want to participate in you know, supporting those practices for meat and, and dairy. So I decided to go vegan. And from there, I decided to go raw vegan, which kind of destroyed my health and my stomach. I became very, very fragile. My bones were breaking for particular no reason, really. And after that, my doctors basically said that if I don't start eating some sort of animal sources, I would probably just you know, die. So I started looking, doing more research into regenerative farming and realizing that, you know, there are other ways of, you know, of raising animals that are sustainable, that are good for this planet. And, you know, the meat is also good for our health, for, for our body. For three years, I basically ate just meat and I was a salesperson and I traveled a lot and I didn't really have the time to prep meat or research places that I felt good about, you know, supporting. So from then, then on, I kind of started thinking about it would be nice to have, you know, steak in a purse, you know, that I wouldn't have to cook. I wouldn't have to prep for it. I wouldn't need a knife for it. Um, so that's kind of how carnivore snacks came along. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So backing up a little bit to um, all the health problems you had, when you became vegan, is that a normal side effect of 
veganism or is that something that sort of uniquely happened to you? Um, I see not when you just Google or YouTube why I'm no longer vegan. Like you will find so many people who are saying the same thing. And we know now that all the plant-based proteins, they do not absorb or function the same way as the animal-based sources do in our bodies. Are you talking about soy-based protein or are you talking about naturally found protein and broccoli and spinach? Like tofu, basically soy-based, hemp seed. In order to get that amount, you have to consume so much calories from those sources. And then some research shows also that our bodies are not able to digest those protein. I always believe that getting everything from food was the right thing to do. But on vegan diet, that's very, very hard to do. So clearly you're very health conscious. Meat is obviously really good for you, but Americans are also so obese now. How do you sort of reconcile the two and what are Americans doing right now? What are we doing wrong with our meat consumption? Now, the kind of meat that we are eating isn't necessarily good quality, probably very highly processed. What's the impact of eating a McDonald's hamburger on your body versus cooking your own steak? When I cook at home, I don't add any oils because I believe that the fat in the steak is just enough. But when you get the, the the meat from, let's say, McDonald's, you don't really know exactly what's in that meat. Sometimes um, I actually never had McDonald's, uh, so I really don't know. Um, never? I, I've never, no. I don't know if it's because me growing up in Poland, I had a different idea about food, but it never really seemed appealing to me when I did watch like the American movies peanut butter and jelly was always like the thing that I always wanted to try because in Poland that was not a thing or grilled cheese sandwiches those that was another thing that was never really a thing in Poland so when I when we uh, moved that was um, definitely something that I was looking forward to eating but never burgers Uh, but going back to why that meat is not necessarily the best is basically that that they use a lot of processed oils and you don't really know what else is added to that meat. So you think that our health problems stem from not eating too much meat, but eating the wrong kind of meat? Correct. Yes. We see that even, you know, in a store like the lunch meat, the way the meat was processed and then the sodium was processed with that meat does have a huge difference. What's the difference with how your body processes sodium from lunch meats versus more natural meat? The body almost reacts in a way of like dehydrating itself versus when let's say you add some salt to water and then you drink that, your body will absorb that or use that in a different way. This is why at carnivore snacks, when we add salt, we do it slightly differently where we do not like bake in the salt in, uh, into the meat itself. So how do you make your snacks? It takes a village to create, you know, a small batch of carnivore snacks. And it's very hands-on. We don't use a lot of machinery for packing, for salting. So it, it takes a lot of people to get, get it done. I'd love to hear about your process from start to finish, maybe starting with the regenerative farming aspect. When we started um, the company back in 2019, regenerative wasn't really that popular. Grass-fed was a thing, but even with grass-fed, there were so many loopholes where, you know, like the farmers can feed their 
animal's grass pellet, and that was being called grass-fed meat. So like on feedlots, but instead of eating corn, they just give them grass. Exactly, yes. Um, So like as the grass-fed started becoming more popular, the farmers started finding more loopholes around, you know, just grass-fed. And the worst part about the whole meat industry, especially grass-raised and finished, is that if I am sourcing literally from the state next door, I'm paying basically three times as much for what I would have paid from New Zealand. It's ship meat from the other side of the world and it would be cheaper. Exactly. Yes. Why is that? In New Zealand, from my understanding, they have a large supply, basically, um, a very, very large supply. There's a lot of grasslands and and in New Zealand, from my understanding, that's all they do. There's no grain finish. So with regenerative farming, can you talk about what it is exactly? Sure. It really means growing everything on your farm that will sustain your animals and without any use of chemicals, pesticides, or any sprays. So to give you an, uh, an idea, like back in Poland where I was growing up, like it wasn't necessarily that we raised our uh, cattle on 100% grass. Um, it was very unsustainable, especially in winter time. We had a lot of hay that we can collect it through the summer months. But when we ran out and we knew we would, we would uh, supplement the, the, their diet with either sweet beets or potatoes or other things that we grew on our fa- farm. And we would cook it for them and, and we would feed it to them. So now a lot of people do think that regenerative means 100% grass raised and, and no uh, grain, which is not true because, for instance, you can't really raise pigs on no grain. Um, they do not live on grass. So I, <laughs> where did I see? I saw there was one jerky company that was promoting pork chips as 100% grass ra- raised pork, which is very misleading. It's not true. But going back to your original question, um, regenerative means just sustaining your whole quote unquote production through raising everything on your own farm or sourcing it from your neighbor. You do not source from across the country where it's not really regenerative if you're trying to raise your cattle on grass, but you are sourcing the grass from California that you have to purchase because it's winter time in mid- Midwest and you're not able, you don't have any more hay. So um, that's another uh, another point that I want to make because I do hear a lot on conferences where there are speakers who have no idea about regenerative farming saying that, you know, it's not regenerative if the farmers are using other means to support their animals. Well, yeah, it's so bad for the environment, all the transportation. So I assume that regenerative farming utilizes less land as well. I read the statistic from the Nature Conservancy that said that an area of arable land greater than the size of England is abandoned every year meaning ever more rainforests or savanna need to be plowed up to replace this loss. That's the thing about industrial farming, because they will use up a certain plot of land, especially to grow soy or wheat, 
and they spray a lot of things on on that land. Once they use that, the soil is so depleted, we're not able to grow even grass on that anymore. And and regenerative farming, what farmers do, they allow the plot of land to rest. So let's say they um, have certain plot of land dedicated to um, feed their cows. So they pasture their, their cows and then they have another plot of land where it's being rested and the grass is being is growing. So then they basically rotate their cattle from one plot to another where that plot, even where the cows are walking, they're pooping, they're peeing on the, the land, that's being very regenerative. The simple fact that when they're walking on the land itself, that part alone is very regenerative for the for the land itself. And the microbes in the in the soil are flourishing in terms of producing more uh, fertile land, more, better grass for the cows itself. Versus like where you're growing, when the huge companies are growing um, wheat or soy, everything's dead. It's really hard to replenish all of that because that top soil is gone. So then they're moving on to another uh, area where they're, you know, getting rid of forests, they're getting rid of rainforests and all that, you know, microbiome that was there before when their forest was there is going to be depleted pretty soon as well. So what happens to that dead piece of land? Do they start developing on it or does it eventually become farmland again? Is it turning into a parking lot or apartment complex? I have no idea. But there's many uh, farmers who do uh, repurchase land and then they let it rest. Then they put back the manure um, and they try to replenish it that way. But at the scale that, you know, the big corporations are growing things, I don't think that's going to be possible, especially with the whole vegan movement, um, you know, how meat nowadays is being vilified. And I, I don't know if it's going to be possible to replenish all of it. So clearly it seems that regenerative farming is so beneficial to our health, to the land. But let's talk about the financial expense of it compared to industrial farming. Is there a way that you see that we could scale this up? Could McDonald's hamburgers ever be from regenerative farm livestock? I personally do think so, but I would definitely take everyone to convert because honestly, it is less expensive to grow regenerative um, meat than it is to grow feedlot meat. But you get all these subsidies from government and then you have to do things the way they want you to do them. So when you're getting all these help, all this help from government, you know, it would definitely take the government to to change things, you know, to pay people to grow regeneratively. And that way everybody could convert and we would only have regenerative meat. You know, it is possible. How is it possible in other countries like places like New Zealand when all they know is grass fed, grass finished, regenerative meat? Um, why is it possible in other countries, but not in the U.S.? You know, so it definitely would have to take the government to change in order to implement that across the board. I've always been fascinated by government subsidies. And I read that 
our government gives about $38 billion a year to farmers. Yes. And they say, oh, we're just subsidizing vegetables. No, you're subsidizing the corn and the soybeans that are used to feed cattle. So now McDonald's is pretty popular in Poland. And now my uncle is growing for McDonald's. Uh, he's growing potatoes for McDonald's. He has a lot of farmland. And he was given a whole schedule and a whole lot of chemicals in order to spray on his land in order to be able to sell to McDonald's. All those chemicals that came in, now there's so many people in that area that are getting cancer and other health yeah. issues. If you saw the people that or my friends that I grew up with, they look probably 20 years older just by living in that area where all that stuff is being sprayed, weight issues, other health issues. So that's another thing that we have to think about, you know, like it's not really experiment anymore because like I, I seen what's, what's happening just in Poland in that small area where I used to live. So it's not maintained in that small plot of land. When you spray that stuff, there's, you know, there's wind, there's a rain that washes this thing and moves it to another area. So that's another thing that we have to consider now. Like, where do we even have a plot of land where it's really clean without any any chemicals whatsoever that were man-made? Because I doubt it. So did your uncle, does he use the chemicals now? He still uses it because he needs the money to survive, basically. So... It's so interesting to me. So I found your company on Public Square, which is a conservative business app. But here we're talking about saving the planet. That sounds yeah. more like, like a liberal mentality kind of. I mean, this isn't a partisan issue anymore. I think we all realize that there's a big problem here. When I decided to go vegan, I thought I'm going to save the planet by not eating you know, meat. I definitely changed my way of thinking. I just want to provide the good quality meat and support the local farmers and bring the business back to US. You know, it's we are outsourcing everything, everything, even when in terms of manufacturing and the costs associated with that, you know, it's insane. If I was to um, source let's say the, the machines that we are buying for our dryers or even simple trays for our dryers. The tray um, that I buy here in the US costs me $60. If I were to get it from a manufacturer in from China, I would pay $16. Things need to be done differently in order to bring more you know, business back to US and lower the cost. I was looking up the prices on your website and did a little bit of math. It looks like the snack packages range from $83 to $128 per pound. How does it make you feel that even though you're making a great natural product, it's hardly accessible to most Americans? Well, yeah, and that's the thing, you know, like raw meat is made out of probably 75% water. It, it takes about a pound to make a pound of raw meat in order to make five ounces of dry meat. Would you say that five ounces of your meat is just as filling as a pound of raw meat? 
too many people is even more filling but i don't want to say that's that for everyone because we do have people who will eat a bag of carnivore snacks for breakfast and they don't have to eat for the whole the rest of the day when i was in charge of quality control and i had to sample uh, you know when the day started and i definitely lost a lot of weight because um again like i could eat just few pieces and be fine for the rest of the day and being busy definitely you know it helps too that you don't have to eat all the time and that's another thing that's very appealing to people when it comes to carnivore diet am i saying that you know that's going to be the case for everyone absolutely not you're better off if you can hunt for meat that's probably the best way to get your meat because that's going to be the most nutritious if you can go to some secluded places where you know you can hunt for some wild animals that's going to be the most nutritious meat you can find the most regenerative meat you can find the second step would be if you can go to farmers market and buy meat buy your organ meats from them and you're going to support your local farmer do that we are selling convenience that's one of the things that we're doing Thank you. That's very helpful. When we talked about how to scale this up, if at all possible, to your knowledge, are there any tax credit programs or other incentives already in place for regenerative farms? I think there is something that I heard from farmers that was coming out. Um, I don't know if it's in place. I don't even know what it's called, so I'm not going to speak to it. But I think there are things happening to support the regenerative farming. Related to working with foreign countries and sort of all the, the back and forth and the transportation of meat, what do you think about China buying up all this farmland in America? It's been in the news lately. I think in 2020, China owned about 192,000 acres and the number doubled by the next year. And they even bought land I'm seeing across the street from a U.S. military base in North Dakota. When I heard that, like I got scared, like what's behind that? Because I there's always something behind it, you know? I also saw that China owns Smithfield Foods now, which is America's largest pork producer. So yeah, so think about that now. We need to do more in order to support our farmers and the farmers that are doing the hard work by doing the right thing. So if it is by the means of, you know, Again, buying from them locally, you can always go to their farm and buy directly from them. Do that because our only vote is through how we spend our money. We cannot stop China for buying our companies or, or buying our land, um, but we can definitely use our money to, you know, to vote. Absolutely. Vote with your wallet. So if we want to show support for clean meat and buy some carnivore snacks don't even support carnivore snacks just go to your <laughs> go to your you know local farmer and buy meat from them because we definitely get a lot of fee feedback from customers how expensive our product is and it is so it's not like you know our margins are so huge that you know we, we are rolling in the dough like as they say but we definitely you know we want to compensate or the or, or the farmers uh we want to compensate all, all of our employees and make sure that you know they're being happy as well so go support your local farmer
I love it. Anything else you'd like to add as we wrap up? No, thank you for having me and for doing what you're doing and spreading the word and educating people. Sylvia Tabor, it's great to have you on today. Thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of Momletics. Be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or watch on YouTube. And we'll see you next time.